It can be cruel, poetic, or blind. But when it's denied, it's your violence you may find. Justice. The answer's justice. Come on, vengeance. Let's get into some trouble. Welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, and I know it's been a while, but we have a brand new Batman movie out in theaters, and as such, I had to talk about it. So what I've done is I've gotten two of my other podcasting buddies, Trey and Jude from MCU Need to Know, who both recently passed 100 episodes, by the way. Congrats, gentlemen. Thank you. And uh, how are we doing? Are we ready for this deep dive into the Batman? I'm nervous. Nervous? Yeah. I might like forget and be like, oh no, the Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> it's DCU, need to know. <laughs> or DCE. It's not even, is the Batman part of the DCEU technically? Uh, I don't even know that they know anymore. I'm so. not sure they know. <laughs> no. Let's put it this way. Our plan is about as solid as Warner Brothers plan when it comes to the connected universe. That is true. That is very true. (laughs) But no, I was going to say, I think I kind of feel that nervousness with you, Jude, because we just recently did a Captain America episode. And I feel what you felt for me towards Rob, because I know how important this character is for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. This is my this is to me what Captain America is to Trey. (laughs) For sure. Uh, So the way we're going to do this is the way that we always do. We'll give some initial thoughts up front. We don't have a spoiler zone here. We actually have a spoiler room. We're going to hit some buttons on a little deal and go into a room, which I apologize. I have not cleaned in a while. But once we're inside that room, we can uh, talk full spoilers of the movie. But before we do that, some initial thoughts. Trey, what did you think of the Batman? You know, I've been thinking about this movie a lot Uh, I've seen it twice now, and I've come to this conclusion. This may not be the best Batman, but hands down, I think it is my favorite Batman. And again, keeping it broad, it can be messy, it can be clumsy, but I admire the heck out of the swings that this movie tried to take with the character of Batman, who is, I mean, so well known. And it feels like we've gotten so many Batman movies, and Mm -hmm. yet they found ways to make it feel fresh for me. So... All the ambitious swings that this movie takes makes it my favorite, for sure. I'm going to say it's third best. After? Uh, but I, the Nolans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight. I realize he has three. Yeah. I was going to say, gonna... but I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Without you uh, clarifying. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I, I'm a Trey. I did really enjoy it. There's an element of the more I thought about it afterwards, I'm kind of like, okay, wow, this didn't work. That worked really well for me. But the biggest, I think the biggest thing that I I can say about it right now is to say the way it was shot and the way it ended did leave me with an excitement of wanting more Mm -hmm. of like, oh, what are they going to do with this character? What are you going to do with this villain? You know, what what does that take on 
Two-Face, Joker, or sure. that we haven't seen yet. Because the take here was just fantastic. And they're clearly going for different interpretations than we've seen before. So yeah, it's oh, yeah. the curiosity to see that other stuff. Well, a friend of mine and I were talking, and it would be really fun to see this creative group do Long Halloween. Which was a major inspiration for this movie. At least that's what they said. And I only saw a couple of those pieces throughout, yeah. but I, I know that's something we'll get into as well, for sure. Yeah. So far, this is going exactly as I anticipated, because I was actually talking to Trey the other night, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> Trey is going to be like singing the praises pretty unapologetically. Jude's going to (laughs) be right in the middle and I'm going to be the most critical. And that's not to say I didn't (laughs) like the movie because I did. Yeah. So when I heard about this, I was really excited and I heard the movie was heavily inspired by uh, what is my favorite Batman comic, The Long Halloween. And that it would be a murder mystery. And I, on this podcast, by the way, have been saying for years that Batman movies don't need to be like big screen epic spectacles. Mm -hmm. They don't have to have like the city exploding all over the place and like world threatening stakes. The character is so much more interesting, in my opinion, when he's used as like a street level detective. And I couldn't believe that, yes, they had elements of detective movies before in previous Batman films, but Mm -hmm. never the focus as it is in this one. So all of that and knowing that going in was very excited for all of that. Did I enjoy the movie? Yes, for the most part. My two biggest issues that, of course, we can dive into deeper once we're talking spoilers are one, the movie is way too long. It did not need to be three hours. Two, this movie is so afraid of being a comic book superhero movie that I am not even sure why Batman exists in the world that's presented to us. Wow. Wow. Well, okay, (laughs) I will say this off the long Halloween. I guess when I'm saying that, I'm thinking and having read the comic where throughout the whole thing, there wasn't one set. It was such a mystery. There wasn't one set villain. You mm-hmm. didn't really know it and, it. and it wasn't like this big name. Right. And so like, that's kind of what I'm thinking of like to push that mystery element further. And I don't need a big name villain to anchor mm-hmm. like you would in a traditional movie. And, and so that's what I would love to see them to, to take it that step further. For sure. Like some of my favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series are when he's just dealing with the mob. And there's not even any of his traditional rogues gallery involved. Yeah. I know they need to get people in the theater, but I'm pretty sure Batman does that already. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Only one of the most famous names in superheroes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which wildly, I don't know if you guys heard this as well, in its opening weekend, it made more money than Spider-Man No Way Home in its opening weekend. Wow. That I didn't know. That's wild. Yeah, that threw me. I was like, wow. Because you look at the legacy that Spider-Man had going up to it and spider-man marketing wise is like one of the highest merch sellers as far as superheroes go in the world mm-hmm. so well, i was I think shocked also you had that build up with batman that in or the batman with the anticipation mm-hmm. the excitement of and i hate to say it this way because this is going to sound bad but to say you know what you're getting with the mcu and no way home you're not wrong and this is an unknown right because we have nolan and everybody wants to see is this going to be to that quality or better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel like with a lot of superhero movies right now, there's almost this feeling of 
putting it in its own corner with the MCU. Mm-hmm. And the Batman felt like this was supposed to answer all that. We're going to take this seriously. It's going to be a darker tone. Mm-hmm. It's its own universe. It's not going to connect to anything. So it felt like it was trying to be the answer for a lot of the laments of all the other superhero films. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of playing off what Jude said played into the excitement as well. There was even a possible MCU reference in this movie that I don't know if it was intentional, but it's hard to think it wasn't. And we'll talk about that, too. I'm very curious to hear that. Just to further tickle people before we... (laughs) (laughs) Before we knock on that spoiler room. (laughs) Exactly. That's for your listeners that decided to come on over here and we're like, I don't know if I want to listen, but now they're hooked, so they have to. Okay. So uh, let's step into the spoiler room where we will be discussing the Batman. Access granted. Welcome. So the way we broke down the discussion, instead of going beat for beat through an entire three-hour movie and just going through the plot, is we're going to talk character to character and talk about what worked for each one and what didn't work for each one, in our opinion. I am sure that we're going to hop around plot-wise. I'm sure that we're even going to jump into other characters because part of the discussion is their relationships. So it's hard to ignore other characters while talking about one. So don't worry about any of that. This is just our basic structure to kind of keep us on track. Mm-hmm. So obviously we got the big gun first. Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Jude, what worked for you with Batman? I'm going to separate those for a second. Go right ahead. Because when I think back, and I've only seen it once, but I think we had a lot more screen time of Batman than we did Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. especially compared to other Batman movies. Uh, So there was an element of that that really worked for me. This is like the focus on Batman versus Wayne and trying to balance that out. I really liked what worked for me is the the menacing, just how menacing they made him feel. It was very horror movie-esque of like, I'm not running after you. I'm just going to casually walk up and then beat you, you know, know, in in a lot of ways. Uh, So all of that really, really worked for me. Uh, especially, again, especially with Bruce and, and the limitedness of, of Bruce. So that's what worked. God, what didn't work? That one's the tough one. We can definitely circle back to it. No, 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 no. I'm not circling back, but it's like, it's like I have things. And then I was like, thinking, I was like, no, that actually did work. That was second guessing yourself. That was second guessing myself. Sure. You know, I think the things that didn't work is going to be also the Bruce Wayne stuff mm-hmm. where... And I get the stylistic of the being more kind of emo is the word that ended up getting used a lot. Yeah. And there's things where it's like, okay, it did work for what they're trying to do. But in my head, who and what Bruce Wayne is, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. You know? and, and and so and so that that's why it's kind of like, no, it did. It because like the movie as a whole, but you know, if I'm looking just at Bruce Wayne, yeah, it, there's some things where it's just mm, not quite. I'll toss in there because I'll say it eventually anyway. I think the reason that we're tripping on Bruce Wayne is because I don't think Bruce Wayne was in this movie. Yeah. I think we saw one character, not the three characters we usually see from Batman slash Bruce Wayne. And I say Batman slash Bruce Wayne, but I also say the three characters because usually we get Bruce in private as Mm -hmm. one version. We get the Bruce Wayne that the public sees. Right. And we get Batman. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of differentiation between those three in this movie. And I do not blame, I want to get this very clear, I do not blame Robert Pattinson. I thought he did great for what he was asked to do. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have made all the same choices from a creative standpoint, 
But if that's what I was asked to do, then I totally understand why he did the things he did from an acting standpoint. It's clearly what the director wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't know if I think that that was the right way to portray that part of Batman. Well, and and having said that, another thing that to add to this being conflicted Mm -hmm. in terms of that working and not working would be in my head, I'm watching it as a standalone. And I'm like you said, it's like, this is public Bruce Wayne and the way we're used to it. And it's just not working. The way it ended made me feel like they have a plan already Sure. for a next stage. And if and when we get a sequel of this, I think we'll see a different Bruce. Mm-hmm. I would like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely have a plan that is taking place within this film. And kind of just hopping in here with, you know, the way you laid out the three versions of this character that we get. I think that's what felt unique to me about this character and what ultimately worked is that he's completely broken. He's not a rookie, but he's not quite refined either. And it's still he still has rage very much in the driver's seat. And so I like how that affects him to the point that it's taken over his life as Bruce or or lack thereof, because there's many characters who make the comment about him not being present. And the only thing that matters to him is this like self-medicated vigilanteism where that's Mm -hmm. that's the outlet that he has found for this. And so. To also echo what you were saying about Robert Pattinson, I mean, he is just bringing that to life in spades. Like you mentioned emo earlier, Jude. I think my favorite version that I've heard so far is people refer to him as Broods Wayne. And that is just perfect for what they were doing. Here. That, yeah. But I think what ultimately seals the deal for me is to also play off what you were saying earlier about the menacing feel. This movie, I think, has a clash of like very grounded realism but also the absurdity of Bruce dressing up like a bat to fight crime. And to me, that works because it further isolates him. So I like that we get this feeling of him being alone. And then you have all the police officers, the civilians, the criminals who are just like afraid of this guy because he just he's not in the right place. And where we ultimately get to to the end, I think, is a very great journey for at least what I understand of Batman. So I guess it would be a good place to put here. I am not much of a comic reader. So all of my knowledge really stems from the movies. Mm. So I don't have any of that comic knowledge to back it up. But at least what I was looking for in in a Bruce Wayne, I thought they were playing in some unique ground here. Mm -hmm. What else worked for you, Trey, as far as Batman's portrayal? The central core of his story is this feeling of like wanting to honor the legacy of his parents. Mm -hmm. He thought that they were doing good for Gotham and he wanted to continue that in his own way after losing them. So it's so fascinating to me that this movie also starts to call into question how great the Waynes were. And we see that transformation you know, the, the visual representation within the story is obviously the armor of Batman and how that shields him from the emotional pain that he's going through. But the fact that it also goes through a transformation for the public as well, mm-hmm. where we start off with even the civilians are afraid of Batman when he shows up to save the day. And then it ends with him realizing, no, I can't just go out there and beat up people for the sake of it. I have to make sure that people understand that I am hope. So... I think pairing that, even if they don't dwell on it too long, but pairing that with questioning the legacy of the Waynes, I thought worked really well. This is the first Batman movie that actually brought the Wayne legacy into question. It's not Mm -hmm. a new concept for comic readers. They did a whole run with the Court of Owls where a lot of that stuff came up. But for them to tackle it in the movie franchise, it's definitely a unique avenue for that. 
So I was very curious to see them do that, especially in the first of what I believe is to be a trilogy. Robert Pattinson is signed on for three. I, I imagine they're going to go right ahead and <laughs> make more. Oh. I can't see him stopping. But to see them yeah. do that in the first movie, I found very fascinating because I would have expected something like that after we build up the character to a certain point and have that be like a breaking point for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first time that that really came onto my radar as like a, a talking point was through the uh, the Batman Telltale game. Yeah, that was something that they started questioning. I never finished it, but. It's such a cool concept because we've held, I speak for me, I've held Batman to this standard of like, he was this good person and his family was good people as well. And this is what he's doing to right those wrong. But to go back to the source and then question like, okay, well, how good were these people? Mm -hmm. It's just narratively rich, I think. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, it leans into none of us are perfect. And I I like the way they did it in in the context of what are you willing to do? Where can I push somebody to be compromised? Mm-hmm. You know, and then we see what Wayne did and you get the reaction afterwards where he felt bad about it and had that guilt. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting for me. I'm thinking like I was watching it and thinking of myself of like a parent and thinking about my students because the students will ask me sometimes is like, would you do this? You know, we're talking about morality and stuff. Would you do this to help your kid? Like trying to figure out what something immoral I would do yeah. for this person or, or good And I think we all face that to a certain degree. And it's not easy. And I never thought of the Wayne family as anything but perfect before. So that's, this was a refreshing take. It was interesting to see the way that Alfred framed it too. Because I felt probably the same way that Bruce did. I felt down when I saw the way that the movie was treating the Wayne legacy. Because it did seem a bit dire when we first found out about it. And then when Alfred reframed it as, your father was a good man. He just made a mistake. He didn't plan for anyone to get killed. He just asked the wrong person for a favor. And that person went too far and he made a mistake and he regretted it. And like when you reframe it that way, it's like, okay, the intentions were totally different than the actions that were taken. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important or else Bruce would have been right to be like, what am I fighting for anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I think I'm curious of how they're going to explore that. And actually, as I think about the movie, they do that after this scene in the next movie and assuming it's a trilogy, they'll do this in the the others of like Batman. I think the lesson learned is he wasn't using other people. No, I will do it. You know, whereas earlier he sends Selena Kyle, Catwoman in with the eyes mm. and kind of using somebody. And then later he's like, no, we're going to do it my way. No, I'm going to do this. And, and so he starts taking more action and more responsibility on on himself Unlike in that situation, what his own dad did, you know, in terms of like good intention, but passing it on to to someone else to carry out. True. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah, that's a really good read. Yeah. Trey, anything else you want to add about Bruce or Batman in general? I think what questioning the Wayne legacy works for me as well is this is something I've still been trying to like kick the tires on and figure out. But the way that we talk about billionaires has changed in recent years. For sure. And that is definitely part of who Bruce Wayne is. And so it's it's such a weird place because with superheroes, they're not supposed to be taken literally. But when you have a character like Batman who grounds themselves in realism, you start to get into these weird areas. But this movie, and I'm sure we'll get into it in other sections of this outline, but this movie is questioning that a lot for Bruce Wayne. And so to just put a point on why that worked, it's not that the movie is like, okay, Bruce, you're a billionaire. Why aren't you doing more? 
it shows that it just goes generational. It's not just him. Mm. It's even his family of like questioning what they were doing. And so I, I like that aspect of it. Same. So, all right, here's some things with Batman that I thought they did well. I know, again, I have some critical things, but <laughs> I love the way that we're introduced to the concept of Batman, that opening voiceover. That was probably, in my mind, one of the biggest influences from the long Halloween was like, oh, it's October 31st, monologue, monologue. And mm -hmm. think about, have we heard monologues, like internal monologues in a Batman movie yet? I don't recall any. I don't think so. So that's very comic book. And I dug that. I yeah. thought that was a cool way to take it. Yeah. I didn't even think about how, because with comic books, you have the thought bubbles, but I didn't think about how that could be represented in the movie through yeah. the mm -hmm. audible diary that he's keeping. That's cool. Yeah. And I dig yeah. that because it really grounds us in Batman's perspective right away. Mm -hmm. And he's just kind of dictating his mission and folding us into the world. I know a lot of people say that like, oh, don't show the murder again. Like, Anytime there's a new Batman, I almost want that as like a frame of reference for mm -hmm. that's the way that affected this Batman because it is different for every single one. So I don't yeah. mind retreading that ground, even though people are like, oh, we don't need to see it again. But OK, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but I like the way the voiceover talks about how he's built the reputation of fear in the criminals of the city by using the bat signal and convincing them that he could emerge from the shadows at any time from anywhere. And I love like cutting to the different things that are going on and they're seeing the signal and then they're like, oh, right, that guy exists. And you see it wash over them. Such a cool intro. Oh, yeah. I love that. That sequence is seriously one of the coolest parts of the film. And what it does on an audience level is like you're saying, it's detailing all these different criminal activities mm -hmm. and Batman's not showing up. And once you get to that final one, the movie has convinced you like, oh, is he going to show up or at least convince me? I'll, I'll speak for me. And so when he does arrive, it has created the same awe that the people in the scene have. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, <laughs> I've talked about this before on our podcast. I'm the kind of person where if something is so good, I start crying like it doesn't have to be sad. I was crying during that part already. <laughs> Batman's so, talking about how much fear he strikes into the heart of criminals and Trey's like, oh my God, I can understand. I'm so afraid. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, it is, when it's speaking, it's all about symbolism, right? And and mm -hmm. with the literal symbolism of the, the bat signal in the sky and it's just, it was firing on all cylinders from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree 100% on that because every time it built up this suspense. Mm-hmm. Is he in this corner? Is he about to come out of this shadow? And I could feel myself getting more tense and, and just like the criminals, more anxious. When are we going to see this? When are we going to see this? And the build, in movie vocabulary, you know it's coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know eventually you're going to see it and you can kind of figure out when it's going to happen and who it's going to happen with. But it didn't matter. Emotionally, they got me there. Yeah. And feeling just like the criminals. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that intro is really, really strong. Unfortunately, because I have, like Two-Face, I have two sides of every coin here. As the movie progresses, the idea that he inspires fear is quickly diminished outside of that scene because nobody else actually seems afraid of him. The police mock him. The twins mm -hmm. at the Iceberg Lounge could care less that he's there when he's like, you know who I am? They're like, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. This reputation that he's told us about and from these few, like, of course, you know, the movie rules of show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. We saw a couple criminals afraid in the beginning and he was telling us we don't see it anymore. 
after the intro. Yeah. It stops there. There's no more fear from Batman. You're right. I mean, now, now that I think it through, the twins didn't really fear him. Penguin doesn't care. Yeah, Penguin doesn't care. And there's kind of a, I, I get they're trying to portray maybe this tough guy image, or I don't really believe it's you. There's all kind of freaks out there and stuff. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from, of the, mm-hmm. just that opening sequence. Yeah. You're definitely right on the the way like the the twins at the lounge or the penguin don't really seem to show that respect of fear that we are told in the beginning. But I think I'd push back a little bit on the police officers because after that opening sequence where we see the different activities, mm-hmm. I think we cut to Gordon walking Batman into the crime scene, but the camera has placed us in the position of Batman and the way that all those police officers are just looking at him. I think that was supposed to invoke that feeling of fear a little bit. I think I agree with you there, but then you get the the one like right before he gets in the room that puts his hand on Batman's chest, like clearly unintimidated. Like, where do you think you're going? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as Batman walks by, he's just like freak. They're making fun of him to his face. Yeah. Okay, I will say this on that one scene, though. What the, the feeling that I did have when he put his, his hand on, I kept expecting, and, and to me, this is just Robert Pattinson being fantastic, you know, because he is really good. I was expecting him to, like, break the guy's hand or break the guy's wrist. Oh, see, you know? I wasn't expecting that just because he's a cop. <laughs> but... And, you know, like, I was expecting him to do that, like, this kind of don't touch me, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And, and I felt like I'm seeing this restraint you know and i felt like he was getting that across yeah and so that's at least on the hand placement i feel like they could have had him look down at the dude and he's clearly batman towers over look down give the squint and the guy's just like oh wait a minute like he remembers his place like even though he's a cop and he's the authority there make everyone afraid of batman or else if you're not consistent it doesn't hold Mm mm-hmm You know what? I'll go out on that limb with you because on the topic of some things that didn't work for me, as much as this movie is interested in the world's greatest detective aspect of this, I can almost see what you're saying because there are moments where the penguin calls him out and like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be the world's greatest detective. If the characters aren't respecting him, yeah, I can start to see it fall apart whenever it makes Bruce an unreliable narrator. (laughs) (laughs) And it did feel inconsistent with the opening scene just because like they stopped showing, even though they did it in the setup, they kind of stopped playing those cards. And I was like, oh, but you started, you were doing it over there. Like I was in, you had me. (laughs) Why do we give up on this? They aren't we all unreliable narrators? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very possible. <laughs> I also, speaking of the iceberg lounge and the twins, I, I was wondering why is Batman knocking on the front door? Anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> when has he ever done this? He's supposed to sneak into places unseen. The only reason I can think of that it gives the movie another reason to give us a fight scene when he first gets into the iceberg lounge. If he doesn't come right. in through the front, He's not as obvious and they don't just attack him. But he'd never be dumb enough to stroll in the front door and walk through a club full of people. I'm going to agree with you on that, on the missed opportunity here and to say that was an excuse for a fight scene. Yeah. Because you could have introduced the club and the penguin and did one of those, the penguin turns around and there's Batman. And we know he gets in. And it's scary. Because he's Batman. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, they don't have to show us him sneaking in. 
We just expect them to do it. Very true. So it, in that sense, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to go with you on that one. So no pun intended, but <laughs> completely intended. Oh, no, 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 no. When it's Trey, it's always intended. <laughs> well, then in that case, let me go to bat for this. For bat? I think... Let me go to bat for this. <laughs> <laughs> so I get what you're saying. It makes complete sense that Batman wouldn't do that, right? Like he would sneak up. He'd find a way in without going through the front door. Mm -hmm. I would maybe attribute this to being year two. Again, not the rookie, but not the refined Batman. He's still in this place where I don't care. I'm just going to go in there, be direct. I'm going to beat up. He doesn't really have a structure to what he's doing yet. And on a narrative sense, the reason I think they're doing this is, or at least why I love that they did it so much is... So much of the revelation of Bruce's core, of his parents' history, what he wants to be and all that mm -hmm. comes from conversations in the lounge. So the fact that we get him starting at the beginning in the Batman suit, knocking, learns a little bit more information, he comes back and finally he strips himself away of the Batman armor because he no longer cares. He shows up as Bruce Wayne to confront the mob. That to me is like, I can see what they were trying to do narratively just on a visual level. Absolutely, yeah, because he says the same exact line. Do you know who right. I am in both yeah. situations? Right. Yeah. Again, I can see what you mean. It kind of takes away from the mystique of Batman, but I, I, I appreciate it. I liked what they were doing there. Yeah. So like, I guess my critiques are not, I understand it works for the movie, mm -hmm. but I can only let the movie do that so far until <laughs> I'm like, but it takes away from the character. Yeah. Right. So that's where I'm butting into things. And and I'll this will be my argument through most of it is this is a good movie. Like this is a really good movie, but it's an okay Batman movie mm -hmm. because they lose a lot of Batman. Mm -hmm. Like unless they're trying to make again, this is really weak though. Batman, I'm not scared of you, so I'm going to go to the front door. Mm -hmm. But for me even that falls apart because you don't see them ahead of time mm -hmm. as something to be feared right so yeah the only time that i ever see batman go to our front door is when he's kicking it down yeah and the, there's just no reason for him to sneak around anymore and when he doesn't care he uses full force mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's not a vampire he doesn't need to ask to be let in <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that i really really liked that this movie introduced and used as a mechanic several times throughout and they were pretty light on gadgets as far as like Batman's arsenal goes. But the contacts that recorded everything, such a great inclusion. Oh, yeah. And they, they used them in so many instances. It never felt like they were leaning on them too hard. And I just liked the logic, the presentation, the like camera angle that they showed for presenting it to us. It was all fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I like what it's doing with some of the narration of... I can't remember verbatim, but I think there's a feeling of, of Bruce talking about like the days blurring or not being able to remember anymore. And it almost feels like we're watching Bruce like disassociate. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he literally has something recording everything for him and all the documentation he's doing with the diary, it's just showing us where he's at in his psyche of just fully removed from himself. Like he's in this almost... I don't want to say autopilot because I think that takes away from the Batman character, but he's so into himself that the visual representation of those contact lenses being what he sees and then later having to interpret it in the Batcave is so cool. I don't <laughs> think autopilot is a, a bad word to use because he even says flat out, like all these nights are blending together. Mm -hmm. I can't keep yeah. track of which one's which anymore. Mm -hmm. I have one more thing I can add just into like the disappointment category. Sure. 
And again, it goes more into... Oh, I'm not even done with mine, so go ahead. <laughs> it goes more into the movie, like, finding a place to respect Batman. He walked face first into that explosion, like, at the funeral where he was trying to help the DA, and then it just, like, oh, he's just standing that scene. there. <laughs> that scene, that scene. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's partly into mine. So one and I know I might be in the minority here. I didn't love the costume. I don't mm. like the cow. Yeah, there's the something ears, about the, the ears forehead. Bad. bad ears. The rest of it. Great. Yeah. Well, the short ears make the forehead look too bulbous. That and they were like, I don't know, too skinny and like pushed in a little bit. Like, they, I don't know. They just didn't they didn't do it for me. It looks like that headphones with the cat. Ears. Yeah, it was a little strange. <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't care for that. I didn't love the chess logo. I complained about that from the screen test they showed us. Like it looks too just like strewn together. Whereas like if you have the ability to fabricate everything else you got going on, you can make a clean Batman logo. I know it was utilitarian too. And he did actually use it for some stuff, but just give me a good logo. Mm -hmm. Huge one. And I don't know how many people actually noticed it, but I do look for this because when you think of Batman's form, if you see him in silhouette, he is very recognizable, usually Mm -hmm. for two main reasons. One, the ears and two, the cape. The cape was not scalloped. It did not have those ridges at the bottom that it normally does is a flat line across. I don't think I noticed that. This is part of why I was was nervous for this, because that is a detail I would never catch, but I'm so glad you brought that up. I was shocked because I never noticed it in any trailer because I don't think we got the right angle to really see it. But Mm -hmm. in the movie, it screamed at me. And I was like, (laughs) how do you not do that? Every iteration of every version of Batman has had that, that I can think of. Why would you lose that? Hmm. Well, I, I was fine with the suit. Uh, I do know my initial reaction the very first time we saw it, not of the movie, but like I was in the, oh, this looks like Daredevil camp. So I get the, the ears or whatever not being tall enough mm-hmm. in that. But I will say like, I didn't have a problem with the funeral scene. The scene that I had an issue with, I, a, I thought it was cool that they used the wingsuit because it was like practical and grounded. It turned into like a little wingsuit. I was fine with that. The part that I didn't like was when he like, Hit his head and crashed. Oh, God. He, like, flipped onto the top of an 18-wheeler and then rolled off yeah. the bat onto the ground. And, and see, what I didn't like about that is I didn't know how to react. In an MCU movie, that's played for comic relief. It's like Hulk hitting the bridge. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, it's like Hulk hitting the bridge in Ragnarok. It's, it's comic relief, Yeah, you know, in that moment. But that's not what this movie is. So I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be worried about injuries because of how grounded this is. Right. Or were they trying to make him laugh? And and so like that was really confusing to me. To me, like, no, in this movie, he's a badass. He should have just landed. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I'm conflicted because, again, that's the scene where he is escaping Gotham Precinct and he's climbed his way to the top and he has nowhere left to go. So I like the feeling of like desperate measures. Here's Batman who's planned for everything. But there's just something weird to me about seeing Batman in a suit like that, where I'm so used to just seeing like the cape gliding. And then he ate it like Mm -hmm. terribly. And while Jude was describing that, the only thing I could come back to is like, again, I like I like the feeling of this is year two, but we're only on the first part of this outline. And I'm starting to realize this defense is not going to hold up throughout the entirety of the movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's hard not to compare to other Batman movies because they show other versions of the character. And I think with a character that you've shown different iterations of, you almost have to look at the other versions of it to illustrate points. So, like, you look at the scene in Batman Begins where he's doing, like, his prototype suit before he even has the cape. And he's grabs on to the fire escape and, like, it breaks and he falls and he takes a tumble. And in there, it works and it feels like it flows as part of the movie and it's part of his learning curve. But we're not seeing a Batman that's going through a lot of learning and year Mm -hmm. two. Like, that was before he even put on a Batman suit. When he's falling like that in the year two time span that he's in, it feels like he's just not good at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Granted, it's like almost directly after the scene where he took the explosion of the face. So he might not be 100% awake either, but (laughs) (laughs) he's still got some lingering injuries going on. (laughs) But talking about the wingsuit, I really, really hated it. It was, in my opinion, the prime example of the fear of this movie to lean into comic book imagery. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care that a wingsuit is more realistic than using a cape to glide or swinging with his grappling gun or anything like that. Give me the splash page of Batman's cape sprawled out as he's leaping from a rooftop. Do me that. That's what I came to see on a big screen when you talk about Batman. I want that silhouette against the night sky or the moon or anything like that. And they denied me that so many times throughout this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. The only defense I could give is if it is a planned, you'll see that in the next one. But you're right. Like, that is an iconic thing that you see in everything, and you just didn't get it here. Yeah, what I was going to say, like, hearing you articulate all that, I think I'm able to figure out why it was off-putting for me. Seeing him in the wingsuit and then just seeing his, his cowl stick out of it, that makes it feel like what the Bruce in The Dark Knight calls out the other guy where he's like, I'm not wearing hockey pads. Like, in that moment, it looks like he's just wearing hockey pads. It doesn't feel like Batman. It feels like somebody who's dressed the part. He's turned into a flying squirrel. (laughs) 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 I'm flying squirrel, man. Hey, give this movie another hour. That might have been what he thought the Alada Alada was. (laughs) He had enough interpretations of it. You never know. Somehow it connects to a falcon because it has wings. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's fantastic. And then the 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 other the last costume thing that irked me, and I knew this from the trailer going in when I watched him tank bullets walking down a hallway, and I was like, okay, maybe that's just for the trailer, and like that's not in the movie. It was super in the movie, although I think it wasn't as long a shot in the movie as it felt in the Mm -hmm. trailer. In the trailer, it felt like he was getting shot by a lot more people for a lot longer, but maybe my brain was stretching things out watching it there. But throughout the movie, he's got, of course, the body armor on. I feel like that was heavily inspired by the Arkham games, which, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, the Arkham suit I just jived with a lot more than this one, even though it's maybe even bulkier than the one we got here. But in this movie, Batman takes so many direct shots and barely flinches to any of them. I never felt like he was in danger when guns were around. He walks around Mm -hmm. like a tank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he even like when he stepped out of the shadows and everything, he doesn't move around the same way. Like if we think about the difference in the portrayals of Batman that we've seen, And again, going to Batman Begins, just because like that's often my checkpoint as my favorite Batman movie outside the animated stuff. In Begins, Batman is like a wraith. Like the criminals that encounter him at the docks are terrified 
because they don't know where he is. And it's like a horror movie. We get the criminal's perspective. We don't even see Batman. We just see that silhouette zipping around them and they're freaking out. In this movie, he just eats bullets. He's still intimidating, don't get me wrong, but it's in the way that Superman's intimidating, not Batman. Batman's like a ninja. Honestly, I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about this because I do think that that's fair. And I wonder if it's weird. I don't know if we can have it both ways. Like, I don't know if we can have that ninja hidden. And and Well, there's two different things now. I don't know if we can have the hidden ninja idea and him be a detective, right? Because you have to see more of him. He has to get out there to do that detective type work. Suit wise is a different story. I think the solution to that is just don't have him do it around the cops. Have him sneak in everywhere. And it's just mostly him and sometimes Gordon. Because mm-hmm. that's the way he generally operates. He doesn't normally just walk into rooms full of police officers because he doesn't want to be around them either. And they don't want to be around him. Plus, Gordon would get crap all the time from collaborating with this guy. And they let it slide in this movie constantly. Even though they give him crap, they eventually end up letting it slide. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm still thinking about that. The doc scene that you were talking about in Batman Begins, whenever we covered Daredevil in our podcast or whenever we covered some parts of Hawkeye, we talked about how there's almost these two styles of filming where you have from the, like you said, from the criminal's perspective where they're they're basically just a flash of mm-hmm. a shadow and it's taking mm-hmm. them down one by one. Or if you really get that up close brawler fight, which is what we saw a lot in this movie. I'm trying to remember, did we get any of that with Batman being like from the shadows, taking people down? No, not even taking people down from the shadows. I think Selena was the only one who did that. Yeah. Selena had more of Batman's fighting style on this one than Batman did. Although yeah. when Batman does get in the close to close combat with people here, that was all solid. Like that was great. Yeah. When he has to go down with a group and fight like that, he absolutely will. And I love the way that they showed all of that stuff. But you didn't get yeah. the I'm in the shadows and I'm going to pull you back into it. You don't see from the bad person, villain, whatever point of view. Right. Uh, in here. Now, I I wonder, again, if some of that's going to be to defend it, the movie a little bit. He didn't say the the classic line, I'm Batman in the beginning. No. I'm vengeance. Yeah. You know, and so in that sense, out of this emotion of vengeance, I don't know if he cares. Like, I just want to go beat you. I would mm-hmm. agree with you if he didn't give the monologue at the beginning, talking about how important fear the as fear. a tool for yeah. him was. And then he just doesn't use it as one. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the intro set up an expectation that the movie didn't follow through on. If they had left that off, then at least I would know which direction they were focused on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see how this definitely conflicting. And it's something I hope that in this sequel that he and I don't even want to say Bruce learns to master like it's the the creators find a way to dive in between the brawler and from the Mm -hmm. shadows aspect of the character, because I think there is a way to marry the two that will create the larger persona of Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, not trying to skip to a different character. No, go ahead. But I feel like that hidden in the shadows, it might have been out of balance if they did that more with Batman because they did that so much with the Riddler. They did a few times, yeah. And I'm wondering, you just cinematically, storytelling-wise, if you have a villain in the shadows the way they did, and your protagonist, Batman, in the shadows as he did, Mm -hmm. then it's like, who are we actually following here and watching? And I think that might have been what helped make the Riddler so scary was that's who's in the shadows, and we normally expect Batman to be in the shadows. Perhaps. However, 
The movie also then later goes on to say how much Riddler was inspired by Batman. So to have them doing the same thing would have leaned into that concept even more. Mm-hmm. If Riddler was surprising people from the shadows, but like, but that's what you do. I was doing what you do. Mm-hmm. You inspired me. Okay, so let's ask this question. Should this not have been the first movie? It feels like it mm-hmm. shouldn't have been in a lot of ways. Like, should this have been the sequel? Because then you have the shadowy stuff in the first one. Mm-hmm. And because of the Riddler and how vicious his crime is and stuff like that, he's the one staying in the shadows and pulling the Batman out. Possibly. And then he goes into this one with the precedent of fear that's been built up over the entire first movie. Right. But then they would have had to have people still respond to that. Yeah. It is an interesting question. Because it is the first time we've had a Batman movie that has no origin. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about now what we expect out of a Batman movie and, and, and those trades, I wonder if at some point we think of it that way. Like, oh, this really would have been even better as a sequel. Because mm. now you're completely flipping the expectations. Well, as, for you, right? You The things you're mentioning that you don't like is, I want this iconic scene. I want that. This, this expectations, it's not there. Right. And so if they would have given that to you in a first run and then in the second run, really sub- able to subvert that. And I totally understand that. Like if I sat down with Matt Reeves <laughs> and was like, these are the things that I wanted to see. He could just say, but that's not the movie I'm making. And that's the end of the argument. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so like I oh, have yeah. expectations yeah. that are not being met and that's on me. Right. But mm-hmm. that's the version of Batman I wanted. Yeah. Well, in in Trey and I talk about this a lot. There is this element of one of the things I love about media, and I'm sure one of the things that the two of y'all love about media is to what degree are we the artist or the poet, right? Like, are we participating in creating the art? Mm -hmm. And in terms of like what I'm reading into it, that's both textually intentional and unintentional. Winter Soldier, when it came out, you know, and you had the Edward Snowden stuff and it had that layer of meaning, but they couldn't have known that at the time. For sure. I'm going to say this and just not trying to gloss over stuff, but things that are happening in the world now that when this script was written and initial pre-production and all that, it gives a different layer of meaning. And then, like I said, there's things that we bring in mm-hmm. uh, and expectations and, and that wasn't there. Or the Marvel thing, like... I wasn't sure if I was supposed to laugh or worry. And I watched so much Marvel stuff that I know in that movie, when he eats it, I'm supposed to laugh. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, so it's, that's where, again, media for me is fascinating because there is that, what am I bringing to it versus, like I said, what is the artist doing? It's an interesting separation. Any other thoughts on Batman or Bruce Wayne before we head over to Selena? The only thing that I'll add, and I could just like set it up here and explore it more whenever we get to the general plot. You talked about how this movie didn't retread the death scene of his parents, which you don't mind. It was much to the approval of most people. I like the middle ground that they found. It's not subtle, but with the young kid at the crime scene, the mayor's son. I do too, yeah. We get everything we need to know about Batman's origins through the way the movie uses that little kid to represent what Bruce is feeling. And again, I'll I'll pick up more later, but just starting in the beginning here, going back to those contact lenses, whenever he's in the scene, we see him staring at that kid as Gordon's trying to get him to leave. And then whenever he's back to the Batcave and the footage keeps playing, Alfred sees that he's focused on that kid. So they very economically handled it in this movie without actually needing to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a big highlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and and we talked about this already, but just to echo on top of that, and this is something I don't think Spider-Man did, actually, where, you know, in Homecoming, we know you know Uncle Ben, so we're not going to do it. Whereas this, we know you know the story, and we talked about the Wayne family and the questioning of the legacy, then really diving into the feelings of Batman and what is he carrying. All right. Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, even though also never said out loud that they did say the cat at least, so I will give them that. Trey, what worked for you with uh, Selena? Is it possible just to say Zoe Kravitz? It's 100% possible Phenomenal. because I have a very similar <laughs> note. <laughs> I hope so, because that's what my note says too, Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> no, I mean, it's seriously like Zoe Kravitz is phenomenal as this character. And I think what's working so well is everything we just talked about with Batman. Pattinson is bringing that rigidness to the character where that leaves room for Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle to come in and be a much more approachable viewpoint into this world of two heart characters. Uh, Her stakes, I think, are a lot more relatable than Bruce's, at least the way this movie Mm -hmm. has set it up. Like You can understand what she's trying to accomplish and the way that it unfolds as we learn more about her history, about who her father is and what actually has gotten her roped into all of this. It just strengthens the interest that I had in this movie. And because Selena and Batman are working together, but their goals aren't 100% aligned, the back and forth drama that that creates, I think, really helps this film. So all of that, all of the work with Selena Kyle here is just really good. Yeah, I had very similar thoughts. Zoe Kravitz is fantastic in this role and selena is easily the most interesting character in the movie you could even argue in a lot of ways that even though we're dropped into the perspective of batman from the beginning especially with that opening monologue this is kind of selena's movie because like you said she has more emotionally invested at least in what we see than batman does Mm. and this is probably the most comic accurate version we've seen of Catwoman in a live action movie. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Her relationship with Bruce and everything. Again, this is where a big like influence of the long Halloween crept in for me. Their dynamic, their relationship, all of it was so, so good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm thinking about what you said with the you could make the argument that this is more Selena's movie than it is Bruce's. I've been stumbling into this idea ever since we covered Captain America, where characters like Cap or Batman or Superman, because they are held to this very high standard of like they are infallible, which isn't always the case because that's where a lot of your dramatic storytelling Mm -hmm. comes from. But because they have that high standard, I feel like you often see the other characters shaped how they are through Batman. So I can see where playing off who Bruce is, that's where you can start to see Selena steal the show, much in the way that you can see Natasha steal the show in Winter Soldier or the way that Cap's relationships with other people help change them to what is the quote-unquote right viewpoint. It's a good point. Batman's influence on her is, it's astronomical throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. She changes a lot of what she's doing. He prevents her from making some pretty big mistakes. So yeah, he shapes a lot of her direction in this while she is the propulsion for so much of what happens in his story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incredibly smart that it's her one uh, there's many ways that they do this but it's her character 
that is quick to call him out on his BS. Yes. Whenever he was like chastising her friend for getting caught up in mm-hmm. the wrong crowd. And she's like, oh, you grew up rich, didn't you? So the fact that they're making Selena be the one to really have us examine how we view Bruce, how we view billionaires, I think it's inspired what they're doing with Selena Kyle here. It's always one of the things that's been the most interesting parts of Catwoman's character is the counterpoint that she is to Batman and not in like, a purely villainous way and like my viewpoints are different than yours just the way she goes about things and the way that like you said she will just call him out on his crap without hesitation and she's usually right (laughs) (laughs) jude anything to add to that like in terms of what works yeah uh no actually i'm gonna let trey and y'all just gush all right (laughs) if i'm not mistaken i don't think this is one of jude's favorite characters So I'm I'm just going to wait for what to do. Sure, sure. Let's get into what didn't work, Jude, since you are prepared for this. Yeah, I think the character being in the movie, like for me, you... Wait, the character being in the movie, period, is the problem? Yes. (laughs) Oh, okay. Like 100%. Like like one of the things that to me made it too long and drug it out is like I didn't need... Like I cringed the first time they kissed and the second time and the third time. And this whole following the motorcycle was really like stalker creepy. And it just, for me, I'm, I'm there to see the Batman and that's fine with Selena Kyle and Zoe Kravitz was fantastic. Right. But to me, this is a, I'm ex- wanting to see this showdown between him and the Riddler and, and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's just like, it just felt unnecessary and forced and like so now i have an extra character i gotta wrap up Mm. and so that adds length and so it's one of those things where it's like like i think you could have got the same movie between him and the riddler without having that character and so to me i'm watching it and seeing the relationship they build which is classic batman catwoman like you said Mm -hmm. but it felt very like we need a female interest. And I'm tired of that, of having the female interest just because we're Hollywood and that's what we think we need. Mm. You know, and so that's why when they get the kiss, I cringed and same thing for the next ones. And I'm just thinking it was like, it just felt like, oh, we need a female character. So let's do this. And so it just, it didn't work. I agree with you on especially the first kiss, but I don't think that that was not the intent because Catwoman is notorious for inappropriately putting the moves on Batman when he has given her no sign that he is interested. Like for her to Mm -hmm. do that is not out of character for her. And did I find it to be a little out of place? Absolutely. But it's still in line with the character, in my opinion. So even though it kind of threw me and it did feel a little cringy, I was like, I've read that too. (laughs) Like I've seen that happen on the page. No, you're right. It's in line with the character, 100%. But when I think about the use of, well, they definitely didn't use this term. They definitely, I don't think, put her in the fridge. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> and so they definitely didn't do that. And so that was great. But it's just still, I'm watching it and I felt like we have this character because studio heads wanted that aspect. We have to have that aspect in the mm. film. You know, I mean, this has been compared to like the PG-13 version of like seven, right? Yeah. You know, your female interest in seven was Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> and we all know how that went, but that was part of, use this reference, part of the plan. Mm-hmm. And here it was just like, I don't know, it just felt thrown in extra. I understand. A lot of the movie could play out in similar terms had her storyline been removed. 
I think the two things it does is one, it gives Batman, like Trey was saying, emotional motivation. Otherwise, he's just, he's saving lives and he's fighting crime and that should be enough. But for whatever reason, when he was just doing that in this movie, it didn't feel like enough because he just wasn't emotionally invested until she walked in. And maybe had she been removed, they would have had to work on that more from his perspective. Maybe the problem is that they lean too much into Selena's character to be his motivation. So I can totally yeah. understand that. Yeah. Well, and you bring up the emotion and like, so so many people compare Batman to like Kantian ethics, right? And this, this whole idea that like I do something because it's a duty to do it. I do what's right for no other sake than it's right. But like Kant, wants us to use just our reason, no emotion, you know? And you see that in the Nolan films mm -hmm. and Batman Begins of like, he has these emotional responses and emotional responses, and this is what it takes him down to. And then he has to go learn and hone his skill and tame his fear and emotion so he can come back and do the right thing for no other reason than it's the right thing to mm -hmm. do. So what I'm hearing you saying is like, well, the reason now he finds is he gets that emotion from Selena Kyle well, that's just replacing one emotion for another emotion. It's not morally binding enough to all of a sudden say, I'm doing what's right because it's right. Oh, I agree. I'm thinking more of the emotional connection I'm referring to, I guess, is for the audience. Right. So like, yeah, because we don't get Batman's origin and we don't see what's emotionally motivating him, it doesn't connect with us in that same way. But when Selena is showing us all that emotion... She's showing us the emotions that we're having and Batman is not. He's so monotone that I'm not able to read his, why am I doing this? Like, and, and that could have been replaced. Like Trey was saying, if they had leaned into the Mitchell kid. See, that's what I got out of that kid. Yeah. And I did too, but they didn't do it enough. Like mm -hmm. they hit that a couple times throughout the movie, but like mm -hmm. that connection happened. And I was like, oh, okay. He sees he sees a mirror here and that's what we're going to go with. And then it was like, oh, well, we're going to do this now and we'll come back to that. But I was like, but that's the emotional anchor. That could have been the emotional anchor through the movie. I'm going to say it should have been because at the very end, he's beating up the snipe Riddler snipers. And part of that realization was Selena Kyle and all them seeing him get that over emotional and like this realization. Like, that's what I got out of that scene. You've already set all that up with the kid and him seeing himself in the kid. And I don't know, maybe this is too dark, but like you have the kid see that, right? Or like like some realization of like, I went from being this kid into losing myself in this vengeance. And I, I got to find a way to do this and pull back. Yeah. And that is a much more, I am personally learning a lesson. And the kid is now reminding me of my childhood yeah. and why I started out. Versus just, oh, it's Selena Kyle. And, and again, I'm... No, I understand. I would dumb. love to put... I would love to put a pin in the Mitchell kid thing and circle back to that when we get to plot because I feel like there's a lot more there that we can get okay, into. Because cool. I have some more thoughts mm -hmm. on that too, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude, when you first started talking, I was so ready to like start pushing back. And I see your point. Like, I don't want to diminish. I, I get what you're meaning. And uh, honestly, when I started taking notes for a lot of these characters... I found myself saying, yes, the performance is good, but I wish we would have gotten more time to really solidify them. So I think that is an issue of the movie juggling a lot. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, I think Selena gets caught in that. 
Rob, I'm glad you did clarify, like, that's what I was going for as far as the emotional responsibility of the character as being the viewpoint of the audience. Batman, at least in this interpretation, his emotional growth is stunted. We are not going to get anything from him outside of the slow drip that we get towards the end of the thing we'll come back to later. And so I, I do like that. But it feels conflicting to get almost this this romantic side of it between Catwoman and Batman aside from the comic, because, you know, in one breath, we have her calling him out on his BS about like being spoiled and, and kind of keeping him at a distance. And then next thing you know, they're engaging in a kiss. And so it just it felt like it wasn't staying on a path. And to link it back and finish my point with what you were talking about with the Mitchell kid, as economical as that was, the rest of the movie struggles to find that level of economy when it comes to the efficiency of the story. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was tone. It was like they it's really weird. It was like ha- they had an identity crisis of like what the tone of this movie is. But they managed to I say manage. I'm just, the creator. I'm just Matthew uh, Vaughn. Right. Like he managed to, I think, pull it off of like, I'm going to have this tone fairly consistent all the way through but there were scenes and that just didn't mesh tonally imagery wise it did i mean keep going back to the thing am i supposed to laugh when he crashes or not or why why am i interested why do i care in this love interest you know that you're building like it just doesn't make sense but well like go back to the first kiss like i didn't take it as like selena was manipulating are trying to manipulate. You didn't take it that way or you did? I did not. Oh, I did. And so in that sense, I'm just, that for me didn't come across that way. I'm just like, that's, maybe they needed to hold my hand more on that. I don't know, because to circle back to one of your previous points, I think I'm bringing that into the movie. I'm not sure that the movie gave that to me. I think me seeing her manipulating him with the kiss is my read of that character and what she would be doing. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it doesn't make sense why she would do that at that point. I can agree with that. That was what, the second time they saw each other? Just met? Or Selena would have done that to serve her own end, and that would have been more clearly shown to us. Mm-hmm. No offense to Vaughn, but like Nolan did that. Reeves, you mean, his right? version of Catwoman of like, uh, yeah, I keep saying. Matt Vaughn, I don't know. <laughs> Matthew, like Matthew Vaughn. <laughs> Reeves, thank you for correcting me on that. No problem. Why do I got that stuck in my head? Anyways, Reeves, but like, but Nolan showed us that. Yeah. I have to admit, I love Nolan. So like, there's a slight bit of like. Dude, same. <laughs> there's a reason nolan enters our conversation once every other podcast (laughs) as far as what didn't work for selena i don't have anything yeah i i was having to search for something here because i was just like so in love with the character Mm -hmm. and she's not the only one there's several as much as i had to say about batman (laughs) there's not going to be nearly as much of that for a lot of these other characters because a lot of the other ones were actually really strong but Mm -hmm. let's talk riddler As far as what Riddler had going for him, I thought for how little he was in the movie, Paul Dano was great, especially when he's out of costume. I feel like anyone could have played the in-costume Riddler, but in that scene where they're in the jail cell and the interrogation room or whatever it was, that clearly felt like some sort of an echo of Joker, Batman from The Dark Knight. I felt like they were trying to do their take on that in a way. Mm -hmm. And yet still being different and unique in their own way. So I'm not going to say that they were just copying because... That's just a classic Batman thing to do anyway, is to mm-hmm. address the guy in the interrogation chamber. But mm-hmm. in that moment, the beats and the range that Paul Dano had to hit was great. He did awesome. Mm-hmm. Dude, he like teeters back and forth between decisive and impulsive and never lets up on being intimidating. 
And he is doing phenomenal work. I'm so excited that we're here in the Riddler. Mm -hmm. And it, it even takes form. Like you've already distinguished between in the mask and without the mask. In the mask, he's got that booming, like guttural voice. And then there's this almost nervous giddiness to him whenever he takes the mask off. I can't picture anybody but Dano playing this character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I say for what worked, I just, my note, the entire take. Like I, I just, <laughs> you know, because I, when I think of the Riddler, thinking about comic knowledge and stuff I bring into it, I think of the green suit and it feels more like, not goofy. Goofy's not the right word. Eccentric, maybe like, like, like it just doesn't feel menacing. Yeah. You know, there's clearly an arrogance. I'm smarter than you answer these riddles, but there weren't like puzzle riddles, you know? And so, yeah. So in, in that sense, that whole take, I just loved having that look. Cause so for me as a kid, I loved watching the, the TV show, mm -hmm. Adam Westbert Ward. Oh, that, that was one. the Riddler. <laughs> I yeah. thought you were talking about the cartoon. <laughs> no, like like Adam Westbert Ward. Like I loved watching that. I hated the 66 show. <laughs> you know, I, I loved it. And, you know, and I'd watched all these reruns of it and I loved the movie. And but to me, that was the Riddler. And then you watch Batman Forever and it's pretty much Jim Carrey is that Riddler, but on steroids. Totally. You know, yep. and because of that imagery. There's always this, oh, how do you do the Riddler? How do you do the Riddler? Kind of question like, and so being able to do that and, and give that all the way through was just wonderful mm. for me. I'm glad you brought up Jim Carrey because as somebody with no or very little comic book knowledge, my two influences of the Riddler is the Batman Arkham games and Fever Dreams of Jim Carrey when I was eight years old <laughs> <laughs> or whenever that movie came out. So with this one, it makes sense why it's so... Like I grabbed onto it so much because it feels like one of the most grounded interpretations that I've seen so far. Matt Reeves has said that he took a lot of inspiration from like the Zodiac Killer for mm -hmm. the construction of this version of Riddler. Yeah. Of course, on the flip side, uh -oh. I didn't love the costume. Does it work for this universe? Sure. I still didn't like it. What was it missing? Question marks. It had one. It had one <laughs> on there. It just... It's just another reminder of this movie being afraid to be a comic book movie. And I know it's, again, I'm bringing in my expectations and what I would have liked to see image-wise, but the Arkham version of the Riddler is a gritty version that still works in the costume because they set up the world that way. They could have done that if they wanted to. They could have given us like an Arkham gritty, realistic, yet still comic booky, like hit the iconic stuff, mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Feel free to get grounded and go gritty, but hit the iconic stuff. Mm -hmm. Just to say, like with my notes, like, or let me let me start here. Whenever you came into this, you talked about this movie being afraid to be a comic book movie. Mm -hmm. And when you said that, I didn't know what you meant. But hearing you go through this, I'm starting to see what you mean. But I mean, I didn't hate the costume. What I did like about it is that it felt like the same view that this world has of Batman, not necessarily the not respecting him, but just that outlandish, this guy's, for lack of a better way, everybody views him as a freak. Mm -hmm. Like he is conflicting with the serious nature of this world. And I think they captured that with the Riddler because it is on its surface. It looks kind of silly. It's like a, almost a garbage bag grimace. Yeah. But. It works for me and that the performance is able to bring it around back to terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like it should be in conflict with this world. But because of the scope of this character, 
and the performance, it ended up working for me. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, you know, because uh, one of the things I just pulled up real quick, I, was, I pulled up the Batman Arkham because I just wanted to see some images of the Riddler, mm-hmm. right? From there, and then I'm looking at the images of the Riddler from the Batman. And, you know, he does have that question mark. And I'm just wondering, it's like, well, would it have worked if they had him similar mask, but in a in a suit? You know what I mean? Maybe. I, I Like, I don't even... Riddler's so arrogant. Why is he putting a mask on? He's smarter than everybody in his right. brain. Why would he even need to hide it? It's only year two. I'm kidding. I'm not actually going to try it. I'm not going to try to fit it. <laughs> the default. It's year two. He's getting there. Listen, we all remember sophomore year. I was about right? to say, there's the, uh, what's it called? The sophomore swagger, right? Like I've, I've been here a year, so I, I kind of belong, but I'm still an underclassman and nobody respects me. <laughs> I think, honestly, the only reason they do the mask is to set up the snipers yeah, at the I, I would to agree. make it more of a faceless concept. Yeah, yeah. And and so in that sense, I think it works. I agree with you. Like, he doesn't really care about seeing his face mm-hmm. and what the character is. But it works here because the army he's building. Because in the mm-hmm. end, he's not wearing a mask. They don't unmask him. He unmasks himself as he's waiting. Yeah, because he doesn't care. Right. So mm-hmm. in, in that sense, that's where the mask, I think, works for me. And I, I didn't have a problem with it. But you're you're right in the iconic stuff. And it did make me wonder a little bit to what extent does... I don't want to start gushing on Nolan again, but... <laughs> but like, to what extent did he... You know, this, this has to be a response to Nolan to a certain degree, right? Because mm-hmm. he hit iconic stuff and gave us kind of a darker, grittier... Batman. And, you know, the Joker's a great look at it. Like, you still had the purple suit and and stuff, and he found a way to make it a part of, you know, and the white face for the makeup and the scars. And I'm sure they had to walk a fine line of, like, how do I hit those iconic things, but not look like I'm just recreating what Nolan did. Right. You know, and so, so in that way, that's, I don't know, but I am wondering how much of that went in their, their mind. Now, actually, I would say the the year two might be a good defense for the Riddler, since Paul Tano is supposed to be writing a Riddler year one comic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I did hear that too, actually. Yeah. So year two argument, I think will work for Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold on to it for one more point. <laughs> but no, I, I will say, because isn't there a moment where they're reading through his diaries and he talks about seeing Batman for the first time. And that was like the inspiration for why he did this, because they already set up how he was inspired by what Batman was mm-hmm. doing and thought they were working together. I can see maybe the the mask being an influence of that. And as we get into the next movies, because I have a feeling this isn't the last we've seen of the Riddler, given how like the post-credit marketing was the goodbye with a question right. mark. Yeah. So I don't think it's the last of him. This just could be the caterpillar phase of his eventual butterfly i'll tell you what i'm happy the movie didn't decide to just start killing all its villains again like i'm sick of that happening in every comic book movie Mm -hmm. so definitely points there the only other thing that didn't really work for me with riddler is his connection to batman which i know is a big thing (laughs) but and again this might just be what i'm bringing in but Mm -hmm. there are certain things when when you don't include them doesn't feel like the same character it feels like a different character Mm mm-hmm Riddler thinking Batman was on his side was a weird way to go for me. I thought that was a little strange because 
if he thought that, why is he leaving Batman riddles? Why is he putting obstacles in his way? Maybe trying to test Batman to but see why if... they're working together. Yeah, I know. As soon as I started talking, I was like, nope, this isn't working. The only thing that I kind of headcanoned is that he wants to communicate with Batman without the cops mm-hmm. knowing. Mm-hmm. But that's never like a really... That, that's me guessing. Yeah, that's the first place I reach for is it's his way of thinking he's in communication with him. And, you know, something Jude and I find ourselves talking a lot about is the parasocial relationships mm-hmm. that comes into talks with superheroes. And so I think it plays into that more of the Riddler thinking he had this special line of communication with the Batman only to find out he doesn't. But yeah, it's... Not to think on that more. Yeah. So that that was a little strange. And then Riddler is traditionally obsessed with proving that he's smarter than Batman. That's like always the main drive of his character. Like, I'm smarter than you. Here are the riddles. And I'm going to prove it that way. So to actually defeat the Riddler, you have to outsmart him. Otherwise, he's just a generic villain. Batman does not outsmart the Riddler in this movie at any turn. In fact, Batman stops the Riddler from doing nothing yeah i'm not going to disagree with that riddler kills everyone he wants to and he accomplishes everything he set out to except for being friends with batman yeah so while you're thinking it's just really funny to me that you could almost frame this as like the emotional moment was batman was like i'm gonna have to ask you to stop being exactly (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna unfriend you and block on all social media (sighs) you know to play into the like what didn't work The thing that I wrote down is, and I know this isn't technically the Riddler, but it it plays into him. It disappointed me that the movie ended on the Joker reveal because this movie felt like it didn't get to put the exclamation mark on the Riddler's point. And having listened to what you just said about Batman doesn't stop the Riddler, it's like the movie didn't even let Riddler be the final threat because he turned himself in and then it was the Acolytes who were taking over and the story becomes about Bruce finding hope, not necessarily married to what it was or it didn't finish marrying what the Riddler meant in that journey. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So my what didn't work was the ending with Joker and everybody listening heard my air quotes with my fingers uh, <laughs> when, when, when I did that. And again, because with Trey, it was like, like, why did you undercut the Riddler? He's our main villain. So it was a nice nod, but I wish they wouldn't have done that. I see what you mean in terms of like, He didn't outsmart. The ending felt very like we have to have a big set piece. Mm -hmm. So like if you think about the Dark Knight, of course, and what the Joker did there with Two-Face, the way Batman had to win was to say, I did it, not Two-Face, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so there was, yes, the Joker took Batman down, but there was an agency and choice because you could have come out and said, no, it was Two-Face, you know, or Harvey Dent. So he did foil the plan in a self-sacrificing kind of way. Yeah. Whereas this was just like, you're right, like, here's our big set piece, and Batman saves the day by beating everybody up. Now, there was a powerful image at the end where, you know... For sure, yeah. ...is the dark, and he has the torch, and he is leading them to hope and, and stuff. And it was wonderful, powerful imagery. But in terms of strictly that, like you said, that Batman versus Riddler... And and maybe that's part of why it's the seven. You know, it is like, did the villain, well, to go with Trey's point, the villain should have, we should have come out feeling like they won, you know, Riddler won. 
But the undercutting of that scene, like, oh, I failed because we're not friends. He's like, no, I showed you all this. Mm-hmm. Is that part that they're missing? Mm-hmm. I think there uh, and wrapping it up. Because I mean, like to lean into the very heavily, and this might be more plot. So you tell me to stop. But to lean in very heavily to the way he built up his army, mm-hmm. you know, and that idea of like what I'm able to do and show society. He should have come out thinking he knew he was going to prison. He should have come out thinking he was on top. So like the idea that he didn't feel that or didn't think that. That's um, true. And he needed another person to show them that just it didn't fit. And that scene with Joker. We've had the conversation on your podcast many times about when you should include a post-credit scene and when you should not. And this felt like the only reason that this wasn't a post-credit scene was because, well, Marvel does that. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do that. So we'll stick it in the movie, even though it doesn't fit in here. I even wrote in my notes, like, I know this is going to sound hypocritical as an MCU fanboy that I'm lamenting that they're setting up the next thing. But as much as this movie wanted to be like, we're not like those other superhero movies, it felt weird that that's where it left us. Totally. And I'm still like, I'm still fighting myself mulling over that question of that uh, I think Jude posed, whether or not this should have been the first movie or a sequel to a different movie. And I wonder how much of it's built into the DNA of the movie that it wants to separate itself so much from what that's been done Mm -hmm. before that we get this Riddler victory. Where when we come back to Gotham, it will not be like any other Gotham we've seen because half of it is submerged. And so I wonder if that's, it's not that it's a wrong impulse, it just didn't feel as cohesive of an impulse in the the narrative cuts that it makes. Mm -hmm. Any other Riddler thoughts? I have one more thing that I want to say and why I think the Riddler is one of my favorite villains, I think, at the moment. That could just be like recency bias. Jude, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, and I promise I won't go any deeper either because I think it'll be a completely different conversation. But some of that real world scenarios that this movie's invoking of that online radicalization, the fact that that becomes a wing of the Riddler's plan, it was full terror. When they were storming that event center and it was just felt like impossible odds as they were storming with guns and snipers. It just like, again, like in the beginning, I was crying. Like it just hit so hard. And bringing that aspect to the movie, it just, I don't know, it worked for me. I agree. Mm -hmm. Jim Gordon, not yet Commissioner Jim Gordon, but that's a common thing that we've seen many times before, especially in a Batman year two scenario. (laughs) Trey, what worked for you for Jim Gordon? Again, this is another one where I start to realize a lot of my notes are, it's the actor. (laughs) That's what worked for the character. Mm Jeffrey Wright brings like when I think of Jim Gordon, I think of tired like he's got that like he's trying to stand up to the corruption of Gotham police force and he's trying to do the right thing in a world that keeps saying, no, we're just going to do what we want to do. And so Jeffrey Wright captures that. And I like that it constantly kept forcing him to be in defense of Batman, even though in a way that is breaking that corruption because vigilantism is not legal. But you find him in that threshold or back and forth in that threshold that I think makes it a special depiction in this movie. Yeah, I had no complaints with Gordon's portrayal here. I thought, like you said, Jeffrey Wright was great. His relationship with Batman worked really well. It's possibly the most we've ever seen them be like a cohesive unit while Mm -hmm. still at times playing like they're at odds, but still being cohesive in those playing at odds. That scene Mm -hmm. where Gordon takes him in the room and is like, I got to get you out of here. And they go through that whole thing. 
so well executed. Loved mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the complaints this movie gets is that, oh, it's so serious and there's no comedy. Why so serious? Gordon's a... <laughs> Gordon brings a lot of humor to this. Like whenever they have that scene that you were talking about, Rob, and they say, all right, I'm going to need you to punch me to get out of this. And then it cuts into the scene where Gordon's like, oh, you could have pulled your punches. And Batman's like, I did. <laughs> like, there are so many small moments like that, that Jim Gordon is kind of a funny character in this, but not not in the Marvel way, in a directed way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit more dry humor. Yeah. yeah. Gordon worked for me, but I think what didn't work for me is that it worked for me. In That's that, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that I feel like they played into some old expectations that we know who Jim Gordon is. And yeah, we see him more together. Mm-hmm. But I thought here was a spot and they could have done more in a new take. Could have taken bigger swings with Gordon. I like they went with Jeffrey Wright. Some of the the character development Batman learns and gets that was given to Selena Kyle could have been wrote in for Gordon. I knew that was going to come back in. <laughs> and so in, in that sense, it was like you could have taken like the challenging about being a billionaire. And all of this, and as they're investigating together, because he doesn't know who Batman is, right? And so for to have Gordon be the one to challenge, because he is the clean cop, he's not on the take, you know, and to challenge those things, I think that would have been a better opportunity to do that with Jeffrey Wright and and Commissioner Gordon. That was a place where it's like, no, you got to take those swings. And they just didn't. And so that's what I mean. It's like, it worked. It was like, that was Jim Gordon. Like, I didn't ever watch and think, oh, that's not Jim Gordon or anything. Right. But there was an element, that, like I said, it's just, well. It, Wanted yeah. more. Mm-hmm. It's funny to have that feeling in a movie that is three hours long. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> as I was taking notes, I think if one of the biggest faults of this movie is that it relies too much on your external knowledge. And it works because the Batman world is so iconic that you can bring in and make those shortcuts. But when you really start to, like, dive into it it's like okay we could have used more of gordon but man then we would have started to become a four-hour yeah. movie yeah i think that circles back to the movie needing more of a focus mm-hmm. and like i think you mentioned earlier rob kind of tightening up of the story and runtime mm-hmm. yeah can i get slightly ahead on the outline sure because uh, all i want to say is like i had very similar feelings of alfred absolutely you know, of just <laughs> same thing it worked that's alfred love andy circus You know, I love leaning into the man in the chair kind of thing, but it just felt obligatory. Yep. I couldn't articulate what worked for Alfred other than like, that's Alfred. (laughs) That's Alfred. (laughs) Was there anything for anybody that really didn't work other than Jude just wanting more of Gordon? Because I there's no I had nothing for like it's the ripple effect of the world's greatest detective not being the strong point of the movie. Because a lot of scenarios revolve around Batman needing to solve the Mm -hmm. riddle, it only by effect makes Gordon seem a little less competent. And so that has an unintentional effect, but it's nothing to do with the character or the performance. It's just that not being a strong. If anything, Mm -hmm. Gordon leans on him a little too hard Mm -hmm. for, hey, can you do my job for me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hey, Batman, solve this riddle. Wow, that's so cool, Batman. (laughs) I I can totally see that. (laughs) So, yeah. I love you pull out the Robin voice there. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, and again, that's me, like, just trying to search for something that didn't work. I understand. But, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. The Penguin. A big surprise, both in casting and execution. Jude, what worked for you with the Penguin? God. 
sound like a broken record now. Colin Farrell worked really well. <laughs> the other thing I really liked about him is, and what really worked is, I was, I mean, the only other time we've seen the pig one, right? Tim Burton. Danny DeVito. And Danny DeVito. And like at the time, and I haven't seen that one in a while. I always usually go back and watch the first Burton Batman. Mm-hmm. It worked for me. You know, it's like, how do you do a penguin? And they kind of took it literally. Yeah. And then the 60s Batman show had your true iconic, this is what you see in the comic. And so I like the idea that they, where they went and was able to make it a mob guy. Mm-hmm. And so that really worked for me. What didn't work for me, I would say, is not the penguin himself, but I would say was they gave us somebody else in Falcone. Again, go to back to the, is this overstuffed? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I would like to have seen him be more of the mob head. Because mm. uh, I think of like, oh, that's the penguin and not so much a lower in the ranks. And that's, I would admit, expectations of who this character is coming in. Sure. So, yeah, I get that. I think the strongest suit outside of some of the things that Judah said with Colin Farrell is that outside of the miscommunication between Gordon and Batman, the Penguin really exists on the periphery of what's going on here. He's almost like this world building in a way because he's this force. He's established. We understand what his role is, but he isn't actually who we're looking for. So they set this foundational groundwork for this mob world Mm -hmm. that becomes a pillar to contrast against once we get into the characters of Maroni and Falcone. And so it's almost on ramping us into the mob structure. And so I to me, I thought they did almost a, a pitch perfect job with doing that. And it's a testament to what they did that they can literally have him waddle like a penguin and it is not jumping the shark. No, I loved it. That was a very creative (laughs) thing to throw in there. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And even though I mentioned not liking it because it's the movie not respecting Batman, it is kind of funny to have him being like, I thought you were supposed to be the world's greatest detective. And he's sitting there trying to like wrestle his way out of the bucket. Yeah. Yeah, I like both of you thought Colin Farrell absolutely crushed this. He totally gets lost in the character, partially due to the performance obviously partially due to the prosthetics. When I first heard he was being cast for this, I actually assumed that they were going to go with a skinnier version mm-hmm. of Oswald Cobblepot. It wouldn't be the first time we've seen it. Trey, you mentioned the Telltale game earlier, and they have a very different mm-hmm. version of Oswald in there. That still works phenomenally. Yeah. It's just a different interpretation. But yeah, he's he's fantastic in this. I have zero complaints about his performance. And I guess he does kind of fall into the, well, he could have not been in the movie and it doesn't change a whole lot, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm glad he was. I was just happy yeah. to see mm-hmm. him. No. And, and you know, that is one of those things where I agree with Trey, the world building, the idea of like, you could have, um, and I think Trey said this to me, Alfred, you could have probably taken him out and found a way to give some of those lines to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm glad they didn't because you have to have Alfred. Like it's just one of the mm-hmm. things you have to have. Whereas like, I feel like taking the penguin out is something that would have been lost. Agreed. That was probably the quickest one we've done so far. (laughs) (laughs) Penguin's good. Penguin's good. All right. (laughs) Last character wise, Alfred, we said already, Andy Serkis, great. The only things that didn't work for me with Alfred is the way that Bruce treats him. Yeah. And, And he's not in the movie a lot, Alfred, but Bruce treats Alfred so badly. Like some of the things he says, you're not my father. Okay, fine. Gives him his cufflinks, the Wayne cufflinks. What about you? Are you a Wayne? Thanks for digging in further, Bruce. Cool. 
you know, I've only raised you your entire life, but you don't think of me as family, apparently. And then the first thing he says after he realizes how much he cares about him with the uh, explosion, you lied to me. Like, ask him how he's feeling. Maybe <laughs> like he almost died because of you and your family, but he's not a part of your family. Like he just treated him like crap the entire time. And I was really annoyed by that. Does the movie ever say how old Bruce is at this point? I think from what I've read, because I don't know if the movie explicitly says it. I don't recall it from the movie. But in my research, his parents were killed in 2004. And this takes place in like 2024. And his parents were killed 30. I think he's 30 is what they come down to. Because that was thinking about that exchange that you just brought up about. You're not my dad. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, that did leave me with kind of this. How much of a child are you still? Right. You know, and because like if you're still talking about and I get it, you're building this character that has this emotional baggage that he's working through and he needs to come out on the other side. But that is something like we're going to put here as part of your emotional baggage, but we're not going to pull that thread through. And so it does just come across as mean, mm-hmm. you know, and they try to pull it through with, like you said, that sign mm-hmm. or with that scene where he's after being blown up but it's it's you know and trying to get there in time and batman doesn't get there in time but yeah it's his first thing you lied to me you know it wasn't like are you okay you're there tell me what really happened between my father and this like you know like in a, in a questioning thing and so yeah so so in that sense that didn't quite work but that's kind of a characterization and writing on batman not alfred mm, true true you know, and until we started having this conversation, I don't think I was able to acknowledge a feeling that I had at times, definitely during the way that he treated Alfred. But when you asked how old he is, it almost seems like this Bruce is acting like his parents were just murdered the day before. Like it's still something that is fresh, even though at this point it's got to be at least, what, 20 years since that accident? Yep. You would imagine there would have been some remedial relationship between Alfred and Bruce, but that's not the case here. And it just, again, I already kind of said it. I didn't have anything to say what worked for Alfred other than he's Alfred. And I think the movie's just not interested in him. Mm -hmm. There's not part of the focus. And so, like, don't get me wrong. That scene where he is, like, flying back to Wayne Manor to try and save Alfred and he's calling on the phone and the way it's framed where you think he gets there in time and the revelation is that it had already happened an hour prior, that's good. But it could have hit so much harder if we would have invested a little bit more time in the relationship of Alfred and Bruce. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, Then on to the score we go. What did we think of the score, Trey? So I don't have a lot of vocabulary when it comes to critique music. But man, the way that that piano chord motif gets reinterpreted over and over again throughout the movie where it can be. bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. Which I read in trivia are the same four notes as the beginning of the Imperial March, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Which is maybe why it sounds so menacing. Okay, for context, Jude and I had an argument the other day. Jude, would you like to set this up? Why you said you were laughing during one of the score scenes? Okay, so when they're fighting on the rafters <laughs> at the end, I had to put my hands in my mouth. I was laughing so hard. And the score took me out of it. And once I recognized fully that it was basically the Empire Vader theme, 
but the use of the French horn was the sounded just like the Batman singing from the 60s TV show. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it sounded like they were trying to get the French horn to do is replicate that. Oh, interesting. And once I picked up that, I was just like, it completely took me out of the scene. And I was just, I was, I can tell you, I was laughing so hard. (laughs) It it was like, this is the final climax battle. And and I'm just like (laughs) laughing and it's not supposed to be funny, but it is. So that to say the didn't work, the rehash of the Vader Empire theme overall, like that's the very end of the movie. Overall, the, th- the, the score worked, mm-hmm. right? I think it really did contribute really well. I liked the reuse of, oh, what song was it now? The Nirvana song or uh, yeah, Ave the Nirvana, Maria? Something in the Way. Not the Ave Maria, honestly, but the Nirvana song. Yeah, Something um, in the Way. Yeah, I love that their use of that. And we see that in Marvel. We see that in a lot of things now, this retooling or reusing this. But it worked Mm -hmm. and it wasn't overkill either. It was just the right amount. And then that one place when they get the Vader theme and I realized I probably used it throughout, but that right there is where it just really stuck out to me and took me out. Yeah. I didn't want to completely deflect to you, but that's so funny. (laughs) That trivia, it has come back to the argument we were having because Jude even pointed it out and we listened to it. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see the Batman, but I could not hear the Star Wars part at all. So anyway, that's that's to explain why I was laughing. But man, the way that that progression that is able to find its way from being menacing to inspiring to just foreboding, like it is is so well done. Like it's been stuck in my head since the movie. I uh, I thought the score was fine. (laughs) (laughs) There was music. music. Those movies have music. I think the, the music that I didn't notice was great. The music that I did was problematic. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'm going to agree with you on that because there is an element of you don't want to notice it because it's there to enhance. Unless it's the portal scene in Endgame, then I want to notice it. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like the typically, that's the difference in my mind between the score and the needle drop, whether sure. it's the actual song or, you know, a, a different take on that song. Those you want to have noticed. It's like when we did our Iron Man review and there's the song in the very beginning that Tony is fiddling on the car with. You're supposed to notice that. It's giving that internal, his internal monologue through the lyrics, right? Otherwise, it's just supposed to blend and, and help create the emotion and the feeling that you're watching. And when, again, for me, once I really clued in on that, it just became goofy. Yeah, that happened to me a lot too. So particularly the Ave Maria song, there's no just like subtlety to it. Every time the Riddler's on screen, it's playing or something incredibly similar to the point where it even telegraphed some things before he showed up. So like the scene where the DA gets in his car and Riddler's Mm -hmm. in the backseat and pops on everything. They started playing that before he was even in the car and we didn't know the Riddler was around. And I was like, oh, Riddler's here. Cool. Well, all right. They maybe should have waited until he popped up out of the backseat and roared the moment right before. But like it happened with enough time to where it sunk in that like, oh, okay, he's going to get attacked next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe I missed it. I'll rewatch it on April 19th, HBO Max when it comes out. But like I was confused, especially in the very beginning, why the Ave Maria? Like Trey and I joke about 
what's the shorthand for a villain? Well, let's use a some kind of classical symphonic music that's recognizable from public domain, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, I kept trying to figure out what does this mean to the character? And I never quite placed why this piece, other than I want to do that, but I don't want to do that. And so I want to do something a little different. So I'm going to grab this. And so, yeah, so I, that was the thing that confused me. I didn't see how that helped the character of what he's doing or... Because it would have been cool eventually if, like, we hear it playing and he has some monologue on it, mm-hmm. right? And so now it's not just his music that cues Riddler's coming, but there's also a larger point that Riddler, in his mind, has that's driving what he's doing. And yeah, is it kind of cliche, the monologue and stuff? And maybe that's my expectations like to see, but otherwise, why that piece? And it just... Because I had to have that question and I couldn't figure it out, you are now taking me out of the experience of watching the movie. It's also a little strange to take a piece of music that recognizable and make it a character's theme song. Like instead of composing something original, Mm -hmm. be like, well, there's already a lot of like preconceived things coming to people that are familiar with that song. And now it's being thrown at the Riddler. And that's, I don't know, it's a little strange. Yeah. I didn't care for Nirvana's Something in the Way song, but that's a personal thing, mostly because I just don't like Nirvana. I know I'm in the minority on that one, but I've never really cared much for Nirvana. <laughs> but the way that it feels similar to the Batman theme, the dun, 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 is that it's just as droning in the mm-hmm. sense that like Batman's is like those same four notes. Bum, 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 bum. And I don't know if it's supposed to fit the like monotone of the movie in that way, but it feels plotting when that's like, that's it. There's no up and down on that. Just boom, boom. And something in the way is something in the way. Uh, something in the way uh, something that that's well, all it is yeah and and it feels like it's beating you down Rude Dwayne <laughs> yeah Rude emo batman yeah. we're going to get the biggest grunge band <laughs> and grunge batman and that's going to be his theme so yeah i i completely get that i guess it was just the lack of diversity for me that i was just like Everything is so plotting and blah, and the movie's three hours. And blah. it was like, come on. Mm-hmm. Repetition really is at the core of the movie, like in the way yeah. the music takes place, the settings we go back to, like it just keeps repeating it to make that point. And if it's going to be three hours, if it's not efficient enough, that's where the three hours turns yeah. to really wear thin. And it doesn't become repeated for effect. It becomes repeated as a chore. Yeah. And I would say like, I did feel like for me, I know there's so many people that like it. At school, we have a comic book club. The club went and saw it together. I didn't see it with them. So they didn't really talk about it in full till today. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I was, I loved it. You know, I really enjoyed watching it and kind of there. And, you know, I was like, no, this is the best Batman movie ever. And for some of them, and, you know, I'm like, it's overstayed is welcome. Like it didn't need to be three hours. And I don't say that that often. Mm-hmm. And again, some of the things I addressed of like Selena Kyle or the big action set piece that it's like felt obligatory, things like that. And I get you have to, if you're going to have that many characters, you have to end their story. Yeah. You can't just cut it off. And so you're going to, it's it's the, not quite like this, but the whole Return of the King and they'll have multiple endings. Well, well, yeah, you have a ton of stories you have to wrap up. You have to end everybody's story or it's not going to be satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, so I get that. And so I understood that's what it was doing. It just, for me, I was just like, okay, Let's end it, you know. Yep. So. Yep. All right. So now <laughs> we move into the plot, which I understand could uh, lead to some of our biggest conversations. But 
we also don't want to be as long as the movie itself. So uh, <laughs> to kind of go through some of this, um, and I know we probably hit on some of this as we were talking about the other things. So I'm going to do a little self-editing as we're going through here. So things that worked for the plot, I loved the ongoing thread of seeing the Mitchell kid that you talked about earlier, Trey. He found his dad dead. It was one of the only emotional connections we had for Bruce. And I do wish there were more of that there. But yeah, I, I feel like that was such a missed opportunity. They set it up so strongly. They just didn't follow through. As far as like sequences in the movie, and this is one we haven't talked about a whole lot. I thought the car chase was actually one of the best sequences in the movie even though mm-hmm. it kind of started with a stutter. So like the Batmobile reveal that we get and like the lights turning on the engine firing. And then it just goes like, <laughs> and it like didn't right. come out. And I was like, wait, what you killed the momentum of that. But then we got the mm-hmm. cool car chase after. And yeah. it was like, no, just do the cool. And that was one more thing. I was like, do the comic book thing. <laughs> right. Well, and again, that's that I go back to the, are you trying to make us laugh? Right. I didn't understand what function that served. Yeah, I didn't either. A friend of mine that went with me to see it, Casey, you know, he leaned over and he's like, man, it took a long time to get to that Batmobile moment. And it did. Like, I kind of forgot that a Batmobile was even going to be in it. Same. uh, Until Mm -hmm. he he got there. I did like the sequence. You know, that to me was the most comic booky of the whole thing. For sure. Yeah. Even over the, the ending piece with all the snipers and stuff. Cause you know, you got the, the ramp launch and, and all of those things, but it still was, it was fun. It worked. Yeah. It's good. You say the ramp launch. Cause I was one of the things I specifically had and like, that's the kind of stuff I wanted more of. You could say that's totally coincidental that the truck bed would fall into a ramp from jump. Be like, yeah, but that's an action movie. Like that's yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> that's the cool stuff. Batman <laughs> saw an opportunity and he took it. And, and we got the cool visual of the car launching out of the sky through the flames. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so excited because yeah. they didn't oh, give us great. a lot of that. The look on Penguin's face where he's like, I got you. And then he comes <laughs> yeah. through the flames and he just like his face sinks is so good. Yeah. Not to mention that was one of the best lines done by Colin Farrell. I got you. I, mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Yeah. It's visceral. You can feel the yeah. excitement. Yeah. You know, hearing you two talk about the Batmobile, it almost feels emblematic of the movie itself because (laughs) the performance of the Batmobile, amazing. I will (laughs) ride that high. But if you ask me to describe the Batmobile, I could not. I don't know what that thing looks like. Uh, that's 100% fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a muscle car. That's that's kind of all they got. You know. Yeah. The other super cool visual we got in the same sequence is the same one we saw in the trailer where Batman's walking from the flames. Penguin's view is upside down. Uh-huh. But <laughs> this was another one where I think I fell into the Jude camp of like, is this supposed to be funny? When yeah. he walks over and they should have cut yeah. on Penguin's terrified face. But instead, we got Batman playing peekaboo, like sticking his <laughs> head down there. And I was like, why would you leave that in? I understand if you want to film it to see if it works. It clearly doesn't. Cut before that, please. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't catch that on the first time. And I was about to be like, well, hold on. I was going to come to defense, but you're right. I forgot about that scene where he just yeah. ducks his head into view. Yeah. It's it's not great. Because yeah, again, <laughs> you, you go to him and Gordon and he's tied up. So you can cut right to there. And we all know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was all I had for what worked with the plot. 
Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, again, plot, I, I think a lot of it worked in terms of the points, the beats that it had to hit in that, yeah, I've had some issues with the pacing, but I got the beats that it needed and had to hit to get there. So in that sense, yeah, it worked. You know, I, in the same vein of keeping it brief so we don't get it as long <laughs> as the movie itself, we've already established the scene of Batman leading the people mm-hmm. out of the water into the light. Like, that is such a beautiful imagery. It captures the journey that this Bruce is on. The only thing I want to highlight after everything that you all have said is that it is so, like, it brings me to tears every time that the person he reaches for is the kid first. Mm-hmm. Because visually, it's showing if he can't help himself, He's not going to be able to help this city. And so the fact that the kid is the first person he reaches for is just, again, like I said, just waterworks. Please answer a question for me. Okay. Because my read is that that was the Mitchell kid or is it just a kid? That was the Mitchell kid. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because they didn't quite telegraph that enough. No. I'm 80% sure it's the Mitchell kid because we get a shot of him and the mother with the newly elected mayor. Before it all kicks off. Okay, because I missed that apparently. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was the telegraph I was looking for and I didn't catch it. I wish they had telegraphed mm-hmm. it a little bit more because I was assuming it was because it makes sense that it should be for that full mm-hmm. circle. But I just needed a little more hand-holding personally. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, so I'm I'm there. It was the Mitchell kid. I But I get you on the needing more telegraph moment. Anything else that anyone had for things that worked in the plot? Or sequences we might have missed at some point that you really enjoyed. All I was going to say, there's sequences we could have dove into more that I thought they did really well when it came to the investigations and the solving of the riddles. Mm -hmm. A lot of those sequences I thought were really, really well done, especially seeing the Riddler's layer, I guess, if we want to call it that, Mm -hmm. and setting up those scenes. I think they did that really, really well. The only other scene that I would nominate is the interrogation scene where they convinced me Riddler knew. Ooh, yeah, that That, was interesting is phenomenal the way he's just like bruce wayne and he just keeps doing that over and over again my god like i didn't know where they were going to go with that and based on pattinson's acting you could see he didn't Mm -hmm. know in his eyes and it's so good well and where bruce wayne batman figured out that oh he doesn't know to have how dark it was the cow and to be able to act that would just such minimal yeah. seeing the, his face. Uh, that realization was so good. My first thought when they did that scene was like, oh, they're not going to do it again, are they? And have someone figure it out in like the first movie. And then when they flipped mm-hmm. out, I was like so relieved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a good, it was a good head fake for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Any other scenes to highlight before we talk about what didn't work? Off the top of my head? No, I think we've, we've touched on a lot of the things that worked really well. Yeah. All right. So what didn't work for me, you guys have actually highlighted more quote unquote jokes than things that stuck with me as jokes. I didn't like that. And this is crazy from somebody who likes his Batman dark and serious. I didn't like how devoid it was of humor. Mm -hmm. I just needed a little more levity. And I, too, have been someone who's been hard on Marvel for the amount and level of jokes that they've thrown in. But like Batman Begins (laughs) is one of my favorite movies of all time. and. In rewatching it, I often forget how much humor there is in it without it feeling mm-hmm. over the top. Right. Even just in the relationship between Bruce and Alfred, like even if that's all you're giving me, that he can feel safe around Alfred enough to like let the guard down and make a quirk here and there. 
give me something. The only joke, joke, quote unquote, again, that I remember from the movie is the thumb drive. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that. It's the only thing that stood out to me as even close to levity. Mm -hmm. You know which one got me? Whenever they're going into the orphanage and... Gordon pulls out a gun and Bruce is like, no weapons. And Gordon's like, that's your thing, yeah, man. Would, <laughs> he yeah, just keeps yeah. going. <laughs> well, okay, see, but that that joke, well, I think it says a lot that I didn't remember either one of those. Both of those worked. And go back to Batman Begins, the levity or the jokes that worked was because of the relationships. And it felt natural between, like, the problem with Marvel that we would point out would be they're aware of the joke mm-hmm. and they're doing that to get the laugh. Uh, Doctor Strange, the cape wiping off rather than let him have the big moment of like, uh, I have the cape on and I'm now the sorcerer. Things like that. Whereas in Batman Begins, the jokes work because you had a relationship and it's natural things that humans do. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of relationships here. I mean, there was relationships and that work, but they're all driving story and plot and character development, but it wasn't, it didn't feel natural. Yeah. And so anything that, other than the one Trey just mentioned about Gordon, and like, hey, that's your thing. It didn't really work. And some of those others were like, that's a sight gag. And this is seven. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I got a lot of the Gordon Batman humor, even though Gordon makes some. He says some lines that could be perceived as jokes. I don't think I perceive them as jokes because that's not the kind of relationship they have kind of to the point that you were making. Yeah. Jude. yeah. So in, in that sense, I could say, yeah, that again, it's, it's that what do you want to be? What are you trying to be? And there was some confusion there. I think Seven had more humor. (laughs) 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 We touched on this already, too. When the DA's neck bomb goes off, Batman's like a foot away from it. If that he's dead, I'm sorry, he's dead. Mm -hmm. Batman's also dead in that explosion. Yeah. We talked about Batman not stopping Riddler from doing anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Despite being the world's greatest detective, he gets manipulated through the entire movie. Touched on this little, too. The last 20 minutes or so felt like a completely different movie. The entire final set piece. I thought when they were putting Riddler away that the movie was winding down. So it was actually a little jarring for me when it kept going. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was kind of satisfied with what you just did, even though it wasn't much of an ending. I thought we were done. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a little strange to keep going. Turns out we got our second win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I heard another discussion say that they felt like that might have just been a big studio note of like, we need something here. This isn't enough. Like, mm-hmm. give us some yeah. big action set piece. I'm really curious over time, is there going to be stuff that comes out of like what Reeves wanted as the artist mm-hmm. versus what studios wanted? Like, no, we, we're paying you to do a Batman movie. I, looking at this, feel like Reeves got a lot of his way. I'd be surprised how much well, of I do a studio too, but, but just what you're, what you're saying, though, in terms of... Oh, yeah. Of like those types of things. Like, like, do we really need Selena Kyle? Yeah, we do. Like, we need a love interest. Like that, that's a very typical thing. I actually read that uh when Reeves wrote the movie, he wrote it with Bruce and Selena in it, and he wrote it specifically for Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz in mind. Oh, that's knowing awesome. they had a oh, prior wow. friendship and everything mm-hmm. too. So that was that was there from the beginning. I sit correct. <laughs> uh, the biggest problem I had, and this is always an issue with any movie, is when I think they fail to get their message across. And I think this movie failed in delivering its message. So the message of this movie seems to be that it's about Batman learning that being vengeance isn't the way to accomplish his goals. And that being a symbol of hope is the best way to go. And that didn't quite play for me. 
I understand the scenes they stuck in the movie to make me want to think that, but it didn't really translate. For one thing, again, that's more of a Superman thing. The whole being a symbol of hope. Batman uses fear as a tool. That's what he does. He takes the hit in the Dark Knight and looks like a vigilante to the city that's to be feared and not looked up to because he does what he has to do to accomplish his mission. He's not a beacon of hope. If he becomes a beacon of hope, what does that bat signal do to the criminals anymore? Yeah, I think that's fair. But for me, I would say what they could have done, and the groundwork was there, which would be, so you have the Mitchell kid, and we talked a lot about Mm -hmm. that. If they would have leaned into Bruce's past maybe a little bit more and not found some way that as a kid, he also ran into the Riddler Hmm. through the orphanage or something, right? That he then remembered because then you truly get like, I'm an orphan, you're an orphan, you know, and you have that resentment towards Bruce from the Riddler. Mm. And here's the vengeance I have against Bruce and the rich, right? But you could have made a more powerful, stronger connection. Yeah. If maybe he remembered or recognized or something, because then you have this trigger of like, oh, I'm an orphan, he's an orphan, and this is where vengeance took him. This is the where I'm leading to. Mm-hmm. And what they're trying to show with him beating them at the end and Selena's stopping them, and there's that realization moment. But it just wasn't as powerful to me if you would have had it, that realization through this of like, this is a case of a villain of this is who I'm becoming if I don't change. Yeah. And again, it was there. It just, they could have made that stronger connection between Riddler and Batman Bruce. Yeah, I don't think they made the argument enough that what I think you're trying to say is make a similar origin story where the paths diverged at one point, but Mm -hmm. for Bruce, they unknowingly came back together to where they're now both on the same side, quote unquote. They're both the same vengeance, and Bruce realizes that his path has to diverge off of that. He can't keep following the path that he's going or else he's falling down a hole. And the biggest problem with that, aside from like, I, I don't necessarily want Batman to be the symbol of hope for the city. But if they do want to go down that route, we never saw vengeance being a problem for Batman until that Riddler thug in the last 10 minutes goes, I'm vengeance. Well, if you want to show me that vengeance is a problem, you have to do it in other situations too for him to see a need to abandon it. Like, And this is the way to do it based on the scene that we got with him reaching out to the Mitchell kid who takes his hand And then they gave us the scene of the woman in the stretcher who wouldn't let go of his arm. All these people reaching out to him and holding on to him. Does that show me hope? Yes, it does. But you didn't give me the setup. You just gave me the payoff. What you do earlier in the movie is you have Batman try to save somebody who's so terrified of him that they will not reach out to him. And as a result, that person dies. And Batman realizes that him being a symbol of fear and vengeance is actually working against yeah. him. Yeah, until you said that part about the civilian dies because they don't reach out to Batman. I was going to say, we got that in the beginning where that man who was on the subway, I think, was even afraid of Batman. But I can kind of see what you mean where we don't see a follow-through of that unintended consequence. Yeah, because he was afraid, but nothing came of that. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is you don't get it again. That too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we go two and a half hours before seeing another reference. Yeah, I think structuring is is... A problem within this movie. It's got the ideas, but maybe a a better structure could have really emphasized it. The only thing I will say, and this is, again, another 
maybe flimsy defense. I think it's trying to capture that feeling of Bruce being so blinded by it that he doesn't even realize he's doing this, like the effect that he's mm-hmm. having, because he says that openly in the, the closing monologue of the unintended effect. But they start to seed the like you have the the Riddler believers at the funeral who are protesting. Uh-huh. It. So you're starting to see that effect grow within the scope of the film. And I would argue they did try and connect the Riddler and Bruce because you have that newspaper clipping where they're talking about the yes, renewal yep. fund, I think they called yeah. it. And you see where Bruce is circled and you can see the Riddler in the background. So he has that connection of why he hates Bruce Wayne because of the, you know, oh, how can you call this billionaire an orphan? But I think it's so, like you said, like it takes us to the last 10 minutes of the movie for Mm. it to really start making those swings. I think you can do the Bruce's blind thing, too, like you said, but they need to do it for the audience. So we understand. (laughs) Well, in the whole, you know, how could you be an orphan? You're a billionaire. That's fine. Do that. And we've set it up. You've talked about that. Oh, we're spinning this, the richness of the Wayne family on its mm-hmm. head. And so the difference between the two of them as the orphans is Wayne's wealth and privilege. I'm doing this with all my fancy gadgets because I have the money and Riddler doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. And other than that, it's like, are they really any different? You know, I mean, I understand that they are. But what I'm saying is, is like, that might be the realization, you know, you can do. Sure. Um, that goes in with your civilian death because like it was a weird jump all of a sudden no guns we're not going to kill people where it's like you're beating people to death really and and so to have that realization is like i have to stop doing this yeah also that would really help now i think about it that would really help reinforce penguin's not scared of them the twins aren't scared of them and all of this Mm -hmm. and the people he wants to be afraid of them aren't yeah and the people that he doesn't want to be have afraid of them are He wakes up and realizes he's viewed in the same light as all the people he's trying to stop. Yeah. That's all my plot points. Yeah. So let's rewrite this and we'll make it on our own budget. Um, Rob gets to do the Batman voice and be Batman. Uh, (laughs) Any other uh, things that worked or didn't work for you as far as the plot goes? I think we've covered all my notes for sure. Like I'm I'm still hanging on to what we missed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that case, anything we missed. I have one thing, and I'm, I'm going to keep it short. And it goes back to the whole Batmobile and how late that came out. Mm-hmm. In this movie, I don't remember who I was talking to about this. The gadgets, the where he gets the suit, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. There was no explanation. And I liked that. I personally liked it, where it's like, in Batman Begins, oh, it's we have the money and you're explaining this. Or that's the tumbler and this is what it does. Does it come in black? You see him build all these gadgets, even the clever eye contact. Mm-hmm. We just, it's Batman. He has it. I don't need explanation. He's going to have gadgets. And that's something that this movie did that I think has been different than other Batman movies that actually worked for me really well. And so, yeah. Cool. I think for me, and it's, and we've touched on it throughout, but just to really emphasize, this movie is just so well shot. I think like despite oh, yeah. all any quibbles we may have about yeah, narratives or that. structuring or stuff like that. It is such a beautiful sure. shot oh, yeah. film. And I don't think that's something I can adequately convey in an audio form, but uh, I want to give it as much praise as I can for striving to just look different as much as it possibly can in inventive and creative mm-hmm. ways. Can't argue with that. Uh, the only other things, there's two kind of other comic book references that are in the movie, one of which is the adrenaline that he injects himself with at the end. A lot of speculation yeah. that that is venom. I've heard, I've heard that as speculation. Yeah. I'm not going with that. And the only reason why is because in the gritty, grounded 
it makes sense that he would have adrenaline for those moments. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, yeah. and, you know, and so in that sense, that's the only reason why I don't buy that. It feels like something that they made the color of Venom to leave a door open should they decide to walk yeah. through it. Yeah. The only other thing was the references to another Batman villain that I have a feeling we'll see either in the sequel or in the third, but very likely in the sequel. I think they might actually leave Joker for the third Mm -hmm. and uh, the second villain will be Hush. Okay. So Hush, if you're not familiar, Trey, because you're... (laughs) (laughs) Me? I'm going to raise my hand. Movie knowledge is the prime source. I'm still trying to connect Venom to Bane. Oh, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is the Venom for Bane, yes. So there's a reporter who investigated the Waynes that's mentioned in the movie. His name is Edward Elliott. Oh. His son is Tommy Elliott, who is Hush in the comics. And Tommy Elliott has a beef with Bruce. They grew up in very similar families. And he he's very good at like, taking him out from the inside on like the elite level that he's on as well as a masked character. And they also make another suggestion in the same thing. Thomas Wayne tried to force Elliot into a hush money agreement. Mm -hmm. They say that specifically. And I was like, Oh man, they two hush references in like five seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As much as this movie wants to set itself aside, have we seen hush depicted in in live action? Nope. Not live action. Yeah. I think you're you're onto something. It's so funny because like one of my first things is I'd love to see the long Halloween in this. And like you said, there are so many references to that. Mm-hmm. But just that particular storyline. Yeah, I know because it's such a good story. And reading that comic, there's so much stuff you see that shows up in the Nolan Batman's little elements. And it's like, oh, just just give me that story. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, so earlier and I might have missed it. You said there was an MCU reference. That's right. Uh, I almost forgot. I'm glad you brought it back up. I hope people are still listening. (laughs) (laughs) The DA's name is Gil Coulson. Okay. I thought about the Coulson. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that can't be accidental. (laughs) Come on. Well, Reeves, I think, you know, amazingly enough, there's a director out there willing to praise the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of being unique. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go with you. That wasn't an accident. Yeah. I think those are intentional, but but cheeky, cheeky little reference. Because I don't think they really use his first name a whole lot. They mostly just call him Colson. But even yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his first name is Agent. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Agent <laughs> Gil Colson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, then. I believe we couldn't possibly <laughs> add more to this discussion of the Batman. As we're getting out of here... Final thoughts or something that I'm hoping you will plug for the audience to tune into, Trey? Uh, final thoughts. I mean, if you like this, this is essentially uh, what we do weekly for the MCU side of things. So uh, check out our show, MCU Need to Know, wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. Add on top of that, Moon Knight's coming out, you know, and if you, as I speak into posterity in the future, because it is on the internet, and if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, you know, and final thoughts on the on the Batman thing. As much as I feel like there's so much that I could talk about that didn't work, I still walked out of the theater thinking, like, I enjoyed the movie. You know, mm. and, and, and I know one of the things Trey and I've talked about on the pod, I know something, we're on video, like, as we can see each other, and I see you petting your cat, Gotham. <laughs> you know, there is that thing about what Trey and I do, and I know what you do, and it's stuff that we love. And and trying to find that balance of like, I'm critical because I love this stuff. Yes. You know, 100%. Um, and, and it's not a trying to dogpile of hatred and stuff. It's just like, 
oh, I love this stuff so much that I, you know, so so I always, I always get nervous about this. Like, I did enjoy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, and check us out. Yeah, I mean, this movie has its place. Uh, my only fear is that it becomes the only running Batman, although I know that's not entirely true because we're going to see Affleck's version again. We're going to see Keaton returning in right. a way. So is this the Batman version that I want sticking around necessarily? No. Is this a movie that I think shouldn't exist and just is a waste of time? No. I think there's no. a lot of good stuff in this movie and we've yeah. talked about it. Well, and if the plan is a trilogy, I do want to see, let him finish it. I want to see the finish mm -hmm. to the story. Yeah, kind of. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just want my version of Batman, man. Yeah. Just as there will always be more yes. Spider-Man movies, there will always be more Batman movies. This is true. I'm holding out hope for you that you get the Batman. <laughs> I just don't have to it. wait through a full trilogy until I start getting more. Yeah. That's my fear. <laughs> anyway. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This definitely went longer than I anticipated, but I'm I'm very thankful for your time and the the discussion. And uh, absolutely, everyone should go check out MCU Need to Know. I've been on a handful of episodes at this point, so delve into the archives, download everything. It's all there waiting for you. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. It was it was so much fun to be on this side of things. Now yeah. that we've uh, <laughs> we've gotten to work a lot more in podcasts. <laughs> right? The Geek Generation is part of the Geek Generation Network. If you like the show, be sure to check out our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read it on an upcoming episode. Continue the conversation with us on our Discord server at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. You can support the show and get access to exclusive bonus content by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. We will see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening. Later. Make it so.